Welcome to the GMS Podcast with your host, Jorge M. Sanchez. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. We have a great episode filled with great conversation, insight, and very interesting topics. First up, we got a segment with Marina Carvalho. She goes to the San Jose Museum of Art and checks out an exhibit. After that, the main guest of this course, of this meal, is the comedian Inach Ino. He is a great guy, a prominent known comedic figure here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I had a great chat with him, and we went to places about comedy and about personal life and about his uh, his experience coming to America because uh, he is actually from Turkey. And be, but hold on, before I get ahead of myself, before we get right to it, I need to once again uh, just remind everybody, everybody kindly that you can subscribe and download episodes of this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and the CastBox Android app. I'm sure you're already in one of them because you're listening to this right now, but tell your friends about it. Maybe you got friends who don't do the Google Play, who don't do SoundCloud, but they're all about the iTunes. Say, hey, you could catch the JMS podcast right in there, bud. Please follow the JMS podcast on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Please donate at the Patreon account. Just search for the JMS Podcast on the Patreon website. And talk about websites, check out the JMS Podcast website, official jmspodcast.com. You can email me at jmspodcast at gmail.com for any reason at all, even if it is just to say hello. I will respond. All right, next up, let's head on over to uh, talk with Miranda. She went to an exhibit at the San Jose Museum of Art. It is Wanju Lim, the Californian Dream Exhibit. And it left her feeling a lot of feelings. So let's get right down to it. Here we go. Hold on. Put those earbuds right into your uh, ears, I guess. And uh, how about how about turn up the speakers? There you go. Yep, I, I think I, you got the level right good. There you go. And here we go. Welcome to another segment of Exhibit This with Miranda Carvalho. Season two. Season five. Season five. No, season four. Oh season my god. Four. I, what are- I had Jacob over the other day and like he's just been messing around my head about the seasons things. Like I I'm, I got them all mixed up now. <laughs> Whatever it is, you already forgot the name of my segment. So that's <laughs> super cool. Are you kidding me? I, I almost forgot the name of the segment itself. <laughs> uh, but Miranda, it's great having you back. Uh, I'm glad that you can make it back this season. Of course, wouldn't miss it for the world. I, I uh, after the uh, after the last season, yeah. um, I got a lot of uh, uh, offers to um, f- from reputable uh, reputable magazines and um, kings who wanted me to review art for them, and uh-huh. I turned it all down to do this. Oh, thank you so much. You're no, I mean this segment premiered last season, and it's got great responses, great feedback. <laughs> Just assumed uh, the season I was on was the first season. That's my bad. <laughs> that's when you start the season. That's when that's when the show starts for me. Not the shitty first season. Where I'm trying to figure things out. Like, um, so how you been? Like, talking to the guest, like not knowing what I'm talking about at all, which hasn't changed much. No, it's like it's like a TV show on Netflix. It's like yeah, you, you could watch the the first few seasons, but if you really want, it really picks up when Miranda gets there. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's when this show gets better. But Miranda, thank you so much uh, to come back. And you uh, once again went to the San Jose Museum of Art yeah, to check out an exhibit. I would just like to say, um, I've been calling it the San Jose Museum of Modern Art. Yeah, we, um, I, it is not that. Yeah, <laughs> it's because that makes because you know I thought it was like the SJ MoMA. Turns out it's just the SJ Moa. You know that could explain because I believe the first episode you went to the uh, SJ uh, Art Museum and we I, I put it out the promo for it and I named it SJ MoMA and I tagged them on Twitter and they never responded or retweeted. So I'm like, oh, maybe that's why. Maybe we offended no, I, the art scene from I the very get go. I I blame. I actually, I'll say right now, I blame the museum. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what did you go see? Uh, well, I had uh, I had some friends come up from San Luis Obispo. We were gonna go to Pride, and we did, and it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took them to see the sights, and there there was a different exhibit that I took them to, the, the um, Rise Up exhibit, where um, I'm going to plug this right here. If you want to read about my opinions on that, you can find it on artsearth.org. Is that a blog? It's a blog that I apparently write for now. Nice. Yeah. Look at you. I know. So I did. T- I do two things. Yeah. Um, but I took them to... You're a to, bona fide art critic. It's pretty much like a... a social activism exhibit and it's really good mm-hmm. um but that's not what i'm here to talk about because i was there and we happened to be there on the same day that this new exhibit opened so we ended up staying an extra 45 minutes to see the opening of uh wanju lim's uh california dreaming mm-hmm. and it's a small exhibit but it really blew my mind and it kind of resonated with me on a few different levels that made me want to talk about it with you. Uh, so the basic gist, and the reason why this is, it, the exhibit only takes um, about half of the main gallery room. Uh, is that on the first floor or second first floor? First floor. On the first floor. The okay. main one. Got it. Uh, and what's really interesting about it that really catches you from first glance is that uh, they cover up the entrances with curtains. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were waiting for the exhibit to open, and uh, we were about to leave, and a woman (laughs) who was standing near the curtains said, do you guys want to see the new exhibit? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we do. We could look like she's selling drugs to you. And she opened up the curtain and said, come on in. Uh, so it's like so. All you had to do was open the curtains to get in. Yeah, you open the curtains to get in. But, but, but at an art museum, right. you're trained if you see a thing not to touch it. Right. So I, right. we we could have just left. Like there's no sign saying entrance here or something like that. I think they put signs up later. Okay. But for the for the like first few minutes of the opening, it was just a person. Yeah. Standing there. Um. So we got in, and uh, what I really like about California Dreamin is that it's um it's a really interesting multimedia piece that uh plays a lot with light mm. and uh mama's got a big thing for a good multimedia piece yeah now, for listeners who are not necessarily aware of what multimedia could mean multiple mediums come on Jorge you got right. smart listeners but, but pretty much it's not a typical you know you go into the gallery it's paintings on the walls it's, it's more about that there's a variety uh, of displays which could be projections which could, could be sculptures which could be uh, like audio stuff yeah like pretty much um, California Dreamin is making its debut 
God, I can't talk today. In uh, in the United States for the first time, mm-hmm. and it's um it's created by this artist Ron Juan Lu Jim, uh, who formed the idea of the piece while uh, living in Germany and feeling immensely homesick for Southern California. Mm. So the guy's from Southern Woman. California. Oh, the woman's from, sorry, it's from Southern California. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the centerpiece uh, that's called California Dreamin', uh, she, she creates these this image of California that's heavily inspired by science fiction. You know, Blade Runner and stuff like these. It's, science fiction films? Yeah. Cool. All right. So she creates this image that's like, because this this is the like a woman's memory of her city. Mm-hmm. And her art reflects that. Like the main piece, California Dreamin', shows these um, pecs. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> shows these sculptures made of glass. And uh, they're, they're colored glass, these just boxes, boxes on top of each other. And uh, on top of them are projections of Los Angeles palm trees, sunsets, you know, that type of shit. Mm-hmm. And um, it really casts. There's something sad about it. Hmm. Well, you referenced Blade Runner, so I'm assuming there's a dystopian kind of uh, look to it's it. Less, dy- it's less dystopian and more just vaguely futuristic and 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 fantastical. Hmm. And it's very because it shows a lot about how how our memory of something gets distorted. Right. And what what we can really like when what we think we remember when we're remembering Los Angeles while living abroad is actually just a collection of lines and shapes and senses. Mm-hmm. And um, what I really liked is uh, this this sculpture piece called "A View of Echo Park," and on one side it looks like a, a hillside with some houses on it. And uh, but the whole piece is made out of layers upon layers of wax, and it creates this fascinating effect that, to me personally, looked. Um, I described it as meaty. Hmm. Meaty. <laughs> like it looked. Like, like it made you hungry. No, like it looked like meat. It looked okay. like it looked like flesh, and it really showed. The texture that, was very meaty. Yeah. Like raw meat. And it really showed that. California, us living in California, I, I don't think we realize how pulsating this city is, this, this state is. Mm-hmm. There's always something going on somewhere. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, people always in motion, things going on. I, I think it's a very interesting notion how you, you try to visually manifest your, your memories of a place that means something to you. And I, I, I guess for you, you have a sentimental value. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I'm assuming the artist also had a sentimental value for LA. It's interesting because you can feel there you could feel her homesickness. Mm-hmm. You can feel it. It's it's waxy and thick. It's 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 palatable. And at the same time you could see that it's so, you know, nostalgia is a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's it's dissolved the core identity of a place, of a town to what had emotional significance. Mm-hmm. Certain colors, certain textures, certain shapes. There's no cities anymore, just just the framework of boxes. Mm-hmm. And something about that 
was really, really vulnerable. Hmm. And especially because you're the the exhibit, you're shrouded in darkness. All you see is the light and the color, and and it's very warm, but at the same time, it feels like you're in a dream. Now, what are they using for the light stuff? Are, are, are projections. Projections, so it's coming from a projector, any candles or anything like no, that? No, no, no. Okay. No, that, you, you can't monitor a candle in an army. Well, unless you don't a thing. I, it's art. Who, it's art, who, I don't who know. Who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's part of what makes it so um, futuristic in a very right. clean cut and technical sense. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, her being nostalgic of her hometown also resembled her her almost uh you know let's say like the loneliness that she was yeah. feeling at the time while reminiscing and at the same time um she took a lot of influence from old movies and their perceptions of California mm-hmm. so she she's drawing from several forms of of idealism here mm-hmm. and it combines to make something really Honestly, this is just personal for me, but it was frightening. Hmm. That was the initial reaction you got from all this. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I'm, um, I, this is going to sound like a brag, but it isn't. I'm really sensitive to, uh, um, like unconventional media exhibits, like stuff with sound and light. Mm -hmm. I'm really sensitive to that, especially if like, um, the room's been darkened. Like sometimes it gets like really overwhelming and that I have. claustrophobic not claustrophobic just um like I'll reference uh there was a really interesting exhibit on on sound that was at the S- SS MoMA which I'm positive is the MoMA although at this point maybe it's also the MoMA I mean I, who the fuck knows I'm right. a bad art critic and uh they have these side rooms these like little theaters these like little black rooms where they have extra exhibits and one of them <laughs> Oh my god. It's it <laughs> Okay, so stay with me. Mm-hmm. It it was a microphone hanging from a ceiling on a string and uh it was waving back and forth to an amp. And oh. as, as it would hit the was amp the feedback it and... would make a feedback. Okay. And that was the exhibit. Oh. <laughs> that was the whole thing. Just go to an average open mic. <laughs> Look at the same effect. And as I say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. But when I was there, I was there for maybe 10 seconds and I physically had to leave because it like the room was dark and that was the only thing that my senses were latching onto and it was it was bad news bears. Right. But that's, I mean, in some ways that's the function of, you know, creating a dark exhibit oh, is, yeah. is to fo- make sure you're focused on the, a yeah, certain thing. Yeah, that's absolutely the thing. Right. Although I think when it gets to the point that like you can't look at it anymore because I yeah. feel... <laughs> I feel like art loses a lot of its like um uh, point when like you can't look at it, right? Because right. don't you want it? Maybe I'm I might get. It's hard to this. appreciate it when it's a discomfort you feeling. You want to look at to it. Look at it. Yeah, yeah. But this this exhibit, California Dreamin', wasn't um like physically upsetting, but it was um overwhelming. In a positive way or a negative way. In in a thoughtful way, I had a lot of I had a lot of thoughts in my noggin walking out of that place. Nice. So it really made an effect on you. Yeah, and I think the it's a it's a small exhibit, uh, but I still think it's good enough to like pay the amount of money that you need to pay six to ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, six is if you have a student ID, which you know if you got one, use it. Uh, 
I think it's worth it just to see that one exhibit. And I think it's the perfect size because if it was any bigger, I probably wouldn't be able to see the end of it. Mm. Because it's so... It's like you're locked in a room with with Lynn's soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hate using... I hate using that term soul when describing art. Because it sounds so like it's a soul, like people just throw it around. Well, sometimes it's appropriate when when it's uh, something as uh, deeply uh, crafted, or, or or you know, it, it seems like they really yeah. put a lot of attention to detail. But it's really like you're you're seeing this this pure, untouched, unseen, literally unseen. This exhibit has not been seen in the United States, and something about that. Where has it been exhibited before? I. I don't know. It didn't say in my research. So, I, or maybe so, it did. So this is the first time every United States it's here. Yes. And okay. at the same time, something about that makes it even sadder. Because we have Lim in Germany longing for this vision of California. Mm-hmm. And those, those, the products of that longing have like n- never reached there. And it's like a message in a bottle or a love letter that just gets, like, lost in the mail. So it's something, you know, private, vulnerable, and like... But it was, like, for California. This has never been seen in California. Ah. Not even in L.A. That's interesting. I know. I know. How ironic. I know. (laughs) Well, you got me hooked. I want to go see this exhibit now. Okay, see it right now. You got your shoes on. I got, I got my running shoes on. You made on, a point to put sure. on your shoes. <laughs> when you podcast, you got to put your shoes on. Like I said, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen. But uh, but closing closing statements. You know, overall, what do you hope people you know can get out of this exhibit ultimately? I hope you can come to this exhibit and really get a sense of what you have while you still have it. You actually touched an interesting notion I, I think I want to get into it before we go. Uh, because a, com- a, a common thing among many people in San Jose, especially people our age, it's very common, and, and I think, you know, I, I get it often too. It's like, you know what? I just want to get out of this place. It's a love-hate relationship. As much, yeah. as, as, much as we say we love San Jose and the, and the people, there's certain moments it's like, you know what? I'm fucking tired of this place. I'm tired of the same fucking, you know buildings I'm tired of the same you know dealing with routines and you know as of recently like I was talking to my buddy Falk I was like what if I just like pick up everything and move to LA like no, I have no you know I got no girlfriend wife kids or anything you know big career to hold me back why not just go to LA and, and pursue you know my dreams of either film or of comedy or whatever and 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 it's like something that happens to I think I'm pretty sure everybody everybody who is of our age in the 20s well, I have a- has that longing to leave the place, and then you meet people who are in the late thirties or forties who come back. Not all of them, but some come back, and how they reflect on San Jose, and how they reflect how things have changed, and how how you know some are happy they moved out, and some regret they moved out. So I think that this exhibit really touches on that notion of like, you know, everybody's uh, experiences is can be different, and they're not all going to be great. That reminded me. There's a band called the Mountain Goats, and they have a song called Andrew Eldritch is moving back to Leeds. Mm-hmm. I think that's relevant. 
Okay. So listen to that song, listeners. <laughs> right after you listen and catch up on season 12 of the Jorge M. Sandwich Podcast. <laughs> It's, uh, so it started on the June 22nd, and it's going to be on till Sunday, September 30th, 2018. So there's a good couple months that people yeah, can, can and go check it honestly, out. Honestly, like every exhibit at, at the SJ Museum of Art right now is really good. So mm. just like make a day of it, you know? Yeah, and support local art, especially uh, an institution like this one. Uh, it's open from Tuesday to Sundays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. They're closed on a Monday, so don't forget about that. And admissions, 10 bucks for adults, $8 for seniors, $6 for college students with ID, and $5 if you're seven. No. What? <laughs> $5 if you're a teenager? Man. Oh, I thought you said seven or under. No, I said seven to 17. <laughs> That's, see, it's pretty cool. So you yeah, go check out this exhibit. I'm, I'm going to try to go uh, catch it for sure. Oh, there he goes. He's out the door. He's leaving. Oh, nice. Oh, really know. nice. <laughs> I'm Miranda. Thank you for coming. Thank you. There you have it. Go check it out at the San Jose Museum of Art located in downtown San Jose. It's a pretty big building. You can't miss it. And I hope you enjoy the exhibit. I'm going to go check it out pretty soon. And I'm actually very much looking forward to it. Miranda really has to be excited for it. All right, let's move on to our main guest. It is comedian Inach Inu. He is one of the most gentle, uh, good-looking guys out there in the comedy scene, you know, believe it or not. Uh, I remember when he came for Scotty, I believe it was probably... The second year for Scotty was happening for Scotty Comedy every Wednesday night downtown San Jose. There's my plug. And uh, one of the baristas was trying to describe him for me because she was really impressed by his comedy. And the only word that she could say to describe Enoch was he was very much a hunk. And I was like, uh, don't you mean me? And she's like, no, not you, Jorge. I'm talking about the, the he's tall, tan hunk he's a hunk and I was like you know I don't know many I don't think there are any hunks in comedy then it hit me oh she must be talking about Enoch and she goes yeah that guy and at that moment I knew that I hated and I love this guy at the same time because he, he is a very nice guy so I, I was very excited to call him up and uh, shoot him a message to come on by to the podcast and have a chat with him uh, I got a preface this episode that a derogatory term is used uh, uh, a few times here in this conversation kept it on because I do feel it uh, it exemplifies his experience coming to the United States as an immigrant and his view in comedy and so yeah so just you know let's keep the context context in regard here when it comes to that please I would appreciate it I don't know why I'm even asking you to, to but maybe you won't even give a shit Maybe most people won't even give a shit. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, a certain, I guess, lack of a better word, trigger word is used a couple times, and it's just it's it's there. Okay, it's there, and it's used to make a point. It's not directed towards anybody. And as you're about to find out, it's actually quite humorous. All right, let's do this. Let's go talk with Inach. Oh, by the way, uh, this is this is how much he's a nice guy. He comes into the podcast studio. 
And he looks around and he looks at the uh, at a couple gifts I received from podcast episodes. Once in a while, a podcast episode comes in with a gift, and it's uh, they don't really have to. I mean, I can't say they don't they don't have to. And I don't, you know, make it mandatory for anybody to come in with gifts. But sometimes I get them. I get, let's see, a photograph or a art piece or a book or a CD. And I usually display them around the podcast studio. And I do my best to also showcase them on the promo pictures that I put on social media. And he looked around. He's like, oh, my God, I didn't bring anything for, for you, Jorge. And it's like, well, you're a comedian. You know, well, you just bring yourself. Bring you and your personality. And, um... But, he's like, but he was like, no, Jorge, I need to give you a gift. And before I knew it, he walked out of the studio. He went to his car. He got some uh, nylon strings that's used for uh, kiteboarding, surfing. See, I'm, I'm messing it up already. But the, pretty much he came in and he, while we, he was talking to me, he was making this friendship bracelet for me. So when we enter this conversation, he's in the middle of creating this friendship bracelet which I appreciate I have it right here it's hanging on the eagle statue you might see in future promo pictures and uh, that was very very generous of him so Inachino if you are uh, listening thank you so much I appreciate it and uh, yeah so here's my conversation with Inach. So, so you're familiar with this stuff already, because yeah. you, you've had a, a radio show. I used to, yeah. In Iowa. Yeah. And what were you studying over there? Uh, I studied journalism. Oh. And. Uh, How was the program over there? Uh, okay. It was okay. You picked up a couple things. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite color? You like red or blue? Uh, I'm more of a blue guy. Great. Which, which I guess makes me so, so basic. I don't know. Yeah. It's a safe color for you. Dude, Dude, you're so sweet. You didn't have to. You actually went over to your car. Do you want car. a uh, thick version or a thin version? Um, well, I'm a pretty thick guy. I go with Great. thick, I guess. So this is actually original kite lines. Uh, blue means red side, which is, um, you know, one of the four lines. So this is one of the... Ter- I started making these for my friends about, I don't know, five, six years ago. Uh-huh. And it's nice. It, it's a breathable material. It's very strong. It's well, nice. What What made you want to do that? Uh, bra- start braiding. Uh, friendship bracelet idea. Friendship bracelet. Just like, hey, bro, I love you, man. That kind of stuff. <laughs> it's not a great painting of an amazing uh, man bear dog. Yeah. No, no, it's all good. Actually, I was surprised he, he even gave me as a gift. Uh, Who's the uh, person? Francisco Ramirez. Ah, oh, do I know that? Guy? Uh, he's pretty popular in South San Jose. He's done most of the murals. Oh wow! Uh, here and he's 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 not a comic. No, no, he, oh, okay. he's a straight in art. If a comedian was this talented in art, I'd be like, stop doing comedy and just do art. Really? Yeah. <laughs> My twin sister's a very good artist. She's very very good. Oh, you have a twin sister. Yeah, she's a uh, she's also. Um, Is it dumb she, if I ask fraternal or identical? Um, she's my twin sister. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know what would that be. You think? Exactly. I, I think it was a dumb question. <laughs> no, no, that's a good question. Uh, yeah. She's two years older than me, so we just started. Uh, Wait a minute. She's, she's a twin. No, no. That actually, that was a dumber question. No, she's <laughs> she's my twin. <laughs> so we're born about four minutes apart. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. She's a very sweet girl. Ha- have you done uh, these braces for her? 
I have. Uh, she's done. For, yeah, we've done a lot of. Bra- I tried to do it for comics. Yesterday, I went to that place, uh, San Francisco Godfrey's. Mm-hmm. I made one for Godfrey. That I mean Meredith, and one for uh, Christopher John. The Hearst, right? The the Hearst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hearst, have, you, right? have you done? It? I've once. I haven't done it. I, I stopped by once with Faco. Oh, uh, Faco. Yeah, but by the time we knew it, it was already full. I love him. And uh, yeah, great, interesting place. Yeah. I, I like it. It's very comfortable yeah. to be in there. Then you get the great space, like on the on the right side uh-huh. of the stage. You can hang out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it's nice. How long have you been in comedy around here? Um, so altogether, I think this is my either fifth or sixth year. Fifth or sixth year. And I haven't done much. I'm just. Uh, Did you start here in the Bay Area? I started in Hawaii. In Hawaii. Mm-hmm. What, what were we doing in Hawaii? Uh, my sister was going through a hard time. She was going through a divorce, and we were. Uh, I was there, you know, just to be one with the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I went to, um, which I do try to go as often as I can. And tomorrow I'm going also again to Maui for, uh, you know, just to be there. I was kind of working on the side, and there was uh, everything closed at 6 p.m. Basically, and there was this one open mic, which was this bar called. Uh, not well it's like a restaurant bar and this place is called Stella Blues and I I would go watch out the comics and I'd try to laugh at them and my sister said <laughs> you try to laugh <laughs> <laughs> my sister said um, yeah why don't you get out there and make a fool of yourself so I feel better so I did and I liked it and I kept doing it uh, yeah yeah that's is, how it started is that the kind of relationship you have with your sister yeah. Where, you know, if you, see, if you see the other, you know, somehow being humiliated or hurt, like if it's, it's yeah. entertaining for them. She's higher in the food yeah. chain. She's smarter. I, I, have, I have the same relationship with my siblings. Oh, is that yeah. one of your brothers? Yeah, that's my younger brother. He's going to work right now. Wow, where does he work? Works at the airport. He works at wow. the, uh, one of the restaurants in there. Oh, at the restaurant. And I have another sister. She's at work now. That's great. I really no, she's at brunch. I don't know. Nice. And, and she wow. pretty much, we entertain ourselves by seeing others, you know. That is so cool make, that you make have, a fool of themselves. I really support every brown person working at an airport. Every brown person working at why, so, why is that? I don't know. It's, we don't get those jobs <laughs> easy. Yeah. Well, well my, my brother's pretty light skinned for a Latino, really. Well, for the airport, he's yeah. dark. <laughs> <laughs> I have yeah. a I have a very very good friend who's um, actually he's a Pashtun Afghani guy, uh-huh. and he basically fought the Russians. Like oh. 12, 13 years. In, in the 80s? Yeah. And he's like, when you look at him, he's like, he's Afghani. Like, he's got like blue eyes. But this guy works at Southwest Terminal. And I said, you are the reason America is somehow working right now. <laughs> he basically, when you think yeah. about it, he was yeah. the Taliban. Right, he works but, at the airport. But right. at the time, the Taliban were our friends. At, yeah. at the time, you know, the Taliban were fighting but, for us. But can you imagine that? And he's like, he always goes up to the airport and he chooses, like, he tells white people, like, hey, be nice or I won't let you. And it's, it's just divine justice. Yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. So it's good. It's perfect revenge, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Is and he's it, got the suspicious beard and the awkward name. He's a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in Hawaii. Yeah, helping out your sister, and then she goes, "Hey, you know, you try comedy." I was trying to uh, and, and bring bef- her mood up, but, but now she wants to start to comedy herself. But before then, did you were you like some kind of performer and something else? Uh, no, I've done some like 
you know, semi-acting-ish and kind of did some silly stunts and here and there, but nothing really. I always had appreciation for uh, the idea of laughter and making people, you know, feel better. All right, so so the idea of entertaining was not strange to you. Yeah, and also I had that, you know, in in college I had that uh, that, uh, radio show, which was a, we would take uh, phone calls and people would, we tried to, you know, it, it was in Iowa where people listen to country, so we tried to play Audio Slave or anything that's just, decent. Just pissing off the locals? Yeah, and when they didn't like it, we'd play Turkish music, and they really didn't like that. Oh, man, yeah. And uh, it was nice. I mean, uh, we'd have, it, we had, like, actual fans uh-huh. in a state like Iowa. It was very nice. Uh-huh. And then, um, then I just, I always did want to try comedy. I actually did write couple jokes a while back and I'm like I should try this and some people said you should go ahead and get out there but you know and somehow things lined up and I did how was your first set it was very uh well I it was funny normal people don't really end up being funny at their first set but I um I did tell a joke that I heard wasn't my joke and I thought it was very funny and I wanted to tell it and people laughed People laughed really hard. So you killed on your first set? Accidentally. Can I tell you the joke? Sure. So one day, I'm from Turkey, right? Mm-hmm. You know U2? Right. The uh, band? Band. Yeah. So Bono goes to Turkey. And, you know, he's a socially very aware guy. He's a political guy. He's an activist. Yeah. I, don't, I can't do the Irish accent, but like, he's like, you know, each time I snap my finger... Some little kid in Africa is dying. And he stops. Be aware, everybody. Kids are dying. Some Turkish guy goes and says, Stop snapping your finger, motherfucker. Uh, Get it? Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's implying that because he's snapping his fingers, he's killing children. Yes. And <laughs> okay. I was like, How does this work? And people on Maui got it. Oh, they really got it. They're like, wow, this is like really good joke. Where'd you hear that joke from? Uh, from a very sweet person. His name is Kemal Baba, who I really love. And I was actually with them today. In their oh, house. This, they, so this is a friend of yours? He, someone I'd like to be. I wish, yeah, I'd like to be the friend. Yes, <laughs> yes, friend. Friend <laughs> is the right word. Well, like mom, like dad. He's like, he's like. Oh, he's a father figure. Yeah. Okay. He's, he's, he's a great and his wife they're great people uh, okay so um, and I he told it in a much more cleaner way so I I'm telling in, in a little bit more of a dirty way but that was a very good joke about and I probably butchered it there and I probably still butcher it now because it's not mine but um, yeah he uh, that joke uh, people laughed and then there was this guy named Greg Wilson from Los Angeles this, this hot shot and he was coming and they said, you should open up for him. I'm like, I haven't really been doing this. Right. So right after your first set, you're yeah. telling to already open up for a hot shot. Yeah. And it was like a uh, hundred people at this like lively place. I'm uh, like, I don't. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, let me have your right hand. Oh, here, here we go. For, for the listeners who don't know what's going on, he's actually making uh, a bracelet in real time as we're talking here. And wow, dude, that's real nice. Thank you. Seriously. Thank you. Yeah, it's guidelines. You know, I'm not much of a jewelry kind of guy. Now you are. Well, no, but here's what I'm trying to say is like, I don't like wearing metal on me. Yeah. Like, whether it's silver or whatever, like, uh, whatever it is, like, I can't wear a necklace or a watch yeah. necessarily. But this is actually very nice. It's it's made of cloth, you said? No, it's from Kite Lines. 
kite uh, lines. The the lines that we use for kite surfing, which is basically uh, a very high quality spectra line, and it's uh, it's breathable. You can wash it. You don't even ever have to take it off if you want to, and it's it will pull like two three cars. That carries our weight. I I could actually pull stuff. This. Yeah, it's very strong. Wow, this is like a, a poor man's uh, James Bond uh, gadget. Yeah, you know, or MacGyver. Uh, or I MacGyver. Because if you want to be more American. <laughs> that, that could be it. Because James Bond is not American. All right, so you, and did you do it? Did you open up for this guy? I did, and afterwards, uh, shout out to this guy. Uh, he said, I actually went, um, and he did uh, one of those teaching seminar kind of stuff but he was high the whole time and we paid a hundred bucks each all of us that sounds like a typical comedian yeah right yeah. and I see a lot of them now but <laughs> he said when I was and I was very tired I was working in the ocean and I got off and he's like he said your stuff is very basic and uh, you should never try to do crowd work and you should never try to do what was that he said uh, you should never what do you call it when you um What's the word for it? There's a word. Uh, when you are basically tagging along with whatever's happening. I, th- I think it's called... Uh, I think that's crowd work, isn't it? Crowd, yeah, he's, he's, you don't ever do it. I'm yeah. like, that's what I'm going to do now. <laughs> so I'm very thankful to Greg Wilson for... Uh, are you like a, a contrarian? You know, with I guess I am. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean... Did you always have it or did you develop it? Uh, I think in time I have, you know, I... Um, I try to do things people say I shouldn't do. Yeah. But was it something you think it derived from a, a culture shock you came to study in Iowa? Well, I mean, it was I was in the States for a while after, you know, I was in Hawaii. I was in California for like eight, nine years. And this guy, so, yeah, so I was in the States for over like 15 years, I think, when this happened. But, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, first of all, yes, English is a second language. You uh, speak Spanish? Yeah. Right. But it's your first language is English. I, I think so. Kind yeah. of, yeah. Well, I, I live in a household where both languages are right. talked. So I'm not, I mean, and my mom is primarily Spanish. Yeah. My dad's more English. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I, I could have. You know, like, so we do a little bit extra work sometimes. I don't know if I s- still think in Turkish, but sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, a lot of people said, you know, it's not for you. It's already hard to uh, communicate in one language. And trying to be a comic in the other is a lot harder. And I d- really do applaud people that do it, including you, because this is you have two of them. But I don't really do perform in Spanish. I know, but you s- in- still you have Spanish somewhere in your head. Okay. You can always, you know, you can always sometimes, not always sometimes, but sometimes always. Yeah. <laughs> you could probably go back to Spanish and say something better, or say something better in English, You're like. It's never like hundred percent best at one. Although I do gotta be honest and say my Spanish is pretty horrible. Yeah. That's good enough. <laughs> That's good. Look at the point across. Yeah. But going back to what I was trying to say is like you, you come from Turkey, yeah. United States, where you know you're you come from a different background, different you mm-hmm. know, so people kinda of, you know, kinda of will look at you funny or, or probably say things that are a bit inappropriate. Oh first and, and maybe yeah. you're like, you know, fuck you guys, I'm being me, you know. I do the opposite of what you guys do. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I I also have been very, um, you know, I came at 16. So when I first came, I just didn't know English so well. And I didn't know, like, you know, I started the school in Iowa, in Muscatine, which was half Hispanic, half white. When I mean white, like Iowa white. Yeah. And so I was like, and there was like a couple of black kids, but they were almost Iowanized. So when I walked in, it was, 
I was the exchange student and there was another girl from France and she looked like she was a foreign person and I looked like I was from another planet. Huh? And um Wait, the Mexicans didn't accept you? Kind of did. They did. <laughs> they they semi did, but we couldn't communicate I couldn't communicate with them too. <laughs> okay. We didn't have much in common. Like uh-huh. I yes. Great. That, you know, that yeah. was it pretty much. But um uh-huh. when I first uh you know, when I first started school, I would like kiss everybody. Because that's what we do, man kiss. Mm-hmm. Man kiss man, man kiss woman in Turkey. Well, for hello, goodbye. Right. right. So, uh, you know, there was the first week uh, and my mom said, my son, you should dress nice. She got me these nice skinnier jeans and I was a thinner guy at that time. Uh, and she would uh, be like, dress nice. So I dressed nice and I would kiss everybody. And before you know it, the first week, everybody would call me fag. Oh, no. I'd be like, I didn't know what fag meant. Uh-huh. So, and they never actually mentioned what fag meant. So I would go to people and, you know, they said, it's a good thing. So I would use the word awesome a lot. That's pretty awesome. And I would always say that's pretty fag, thinking that it was something beautiful. Yeah. And for, for not a year, but for like two, three months, I called the minister of the Methodist church fag. To his face? And he being the sweetest human being in the world, <laughs> never wanted to correct me because he was so kind yeah and when i found out i thought this is divine comedy <laughs> so I, how, I, how did you find like how, how long did you find out it took it took i think two well the first time i said i know the first time i said it was at dinner after lasagna right before you know christians uh they tend to do this very nice prayer and he said lord thank you for this great food and all the blessings you have bestowed upon us i'm like excuse me I'd like to say you're such a fag. And because nobody corrected you. And he said, excuse me? Yeah. Uh, I called him Baba. Hal Baba. And he said, what'd you say, my son? I said, you're a fag. And everybody here is, you are all humble, kind, fag people. And, uh, you know, I wanted to impress him with my knowledge of this new language. Right. I'm a 16-year-old trying to make a statement in America. Like, I'm funny. Like, look, I'm assimilating well. I'm, I'm speaking English. Yeah. Like, I'm trying... I got the lingo. I watch South Park. Uh-huh. You know? And he never... Co- well, he has eventually... He actually was surprised at first, but he, and his blessed, beautiful face would turn into red and blue when it's angry or happy funny. Yeah. And I didn't... I thought, like... I thought people were, like... It's... People thought I was playing a trick on them, I thought. Yeah. But it was... I, and I also thought they were playing it like they why are they making fun of me saying awesome or I couldn't say terrific you thought, like, in your head this is an honest compliment yeah I'm saying fag I mean and, it and, you are a fag so. and expressing appreciation of the other person I guess once you find out what it really meant like was it, it was like, very hurt yeah was it I guess you kind of stopped trusting people at that point right? yeah and I've always been because it seems like everyone just went on with, with it like nobody really you know took you to the side told you what it really meant or how hurtful it can be to others yeah it took it took years because I thought like you know when I was in high school I was this and I thought like I was this foreign guy yeah and for somebody who grows grows up in a small town it's like really fun to have this foreign person you can make fun of and there's no consequences and then September 11th came and I was like the face of every nightmare they have in Fox News Mm -hmm. and that place I was like, so the 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 kind of jokes changed the, but somehow I mean I always I support everybody and it's a very hurtful war and I actually watched uh, Stephen, sorry, 
Colbert? No, the other God, amazing. I love uh, John Stewart. John Stewart. Yeah. And he was saying he he doesn't ha he's not ever going to use that word because he found out the very hard way what it really meant. Mm -hmm. But throughout his set, he said it maybe like fifty times. But uh, he was trying to make a statement in that sense. So I I find it very uh, it's a very hurtful word, and especially. You know, uh, if you say it to somebody that you think, you know, you just come to this country for the first time. Let, I mean, you know, I'm a straight kid, but if I was uh, if I was gay, I'd probably be very, very offended. Mm -hmm. Even as a straight kid, I was like, like, why, why don't I have? I mean, you know. Then I started watching more South Park, so I could learn better. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, English. Uh, but uh, again, if and it's semi-funny. It yeah. wasn't really that hurtful. But then, uh, you know, after I want to have a full control of what I understand, so I can, in return, say back mm -hmm. uh, what's necessary, especially on stage. And uh, sometimes I don't know some of the words, and that's you know. And then you try to blanket it with other stuff. How did you try to navigate? You know, going through high school. And, and, and I had to uh, because my school in Turkey was basically shut down. The lady who um, owned the school supposedly took all the money and ran away, and I got kicked out of like eight schools. I was I was not a very good kid. Were you a troubled kid? No, I, I had ADD. I liked animals a lot. I wanted to, you know, and I liked mountains, and I wanted to like, I wanted to be, believe it or not, I wanted to be a gymnast, an acrobat. I wanted to do all these flips. So you, you were very energetic. Kind of, and, yeah. and I wasn't really, like, people thought I was social, but I wasn't that social. I wanted to be around animals a lot. And my, you know, attention deficit or whatever at that time, which I don't know how much I have it still, but uh, kind of made the teachers really unhappy, I guess. And I was like the uh, poster child for ADD in Turkey at the 80s and the 90s. So I said, uh, my dad said, you should go to America because you're not doing so well. You failed two years. Uh -huh. No schools are accepting you. So I had to go. Okay. And I was being drafted when I was going to get to 18, so I had to go. Okay. And the first place was Iowa. Like, did, did your parents have a connection to Iowa? They did. Oh, I okay. was supposed to work at a restaurant, but somehow then I started going to college, high school. So you have family here? Uh, oh. no, my sister's coming. No, I, they're mostly back home. This was a okay. far relative in Iowa. A far relative in Iowa. Mm -hmm. What line of work were your parents in? What's that? What line of work were your parents uh, in? Foreign language teachers. Okay. So English, Italian, German. I'm asking because it seems like if they could afford to send you to another country. No, they couldn't. Well, I, I actually ended so up... So it was a true act of desperation on their yeah, part to send no, you away. My dad's... You're, you're causing so much trouble. We're, we're going to, you know, spend a good time to get you out of here. Yeah, my dad sold their apartments. So oh, like, yeah, they were... Yeah, uh, they make about like probably 600 bucks. Mm -hmm. And so oh. what happened is my mom and dad, uh, they were working at a university, but not like full professor, but like foreign language instructor teacher someone and my dad would also go to the tours in the you know historical sites and extra lessons and you know they I, I think I uh, and they they sent me to Iowa and Rotarians God bless them really nice people they gave me a international student scholarship which I probably ran out of it with my bad grades right away but then I got really helped by this very kind two families the Millers and uh, the Greens mm -hmm. so they um, and I never believed I would ever graduate from high school, let alone college. Hmm. So, and you know, I didn't pass my, uh, what's that, uh, the test, the it, English test? 
Okay, ESL? No. So, mm, TESOL or TOEFL? Something? TOEFL. TOEFL, yeah. I got like 547, and from the ACT, I got, you know, basically uh, the grades of a, I don't know, a goldfish or something. Okay. And goldfishes don't go to college. And somehow I, uh, by this people's help, I got through college, and I never thought I'd graduate. I did graduate. So you, you graduate from high school. You managed to do it. Mm-hmm. Then I went what, to college. What, what was the game plan? There was no game plan to run from the Turkish army at that time. I mean, to run because we had a lot of uh, issues at our borders, which we right. still do right now. Right. Uh, we yeah. have a lot of uh, turkeys being constantly um, uh, trying to be bullied by these, especially Western nations, which breaks my heart. But... What part of Turkey is your family from? Uh, we're from the Aegean coast, the west side. The west side. The, uh-huh. It's like more, you know, European, I suppose. Uh, all of Turkey is very, uh, I would say, open-minded and Euro- Like I don't know if European makes a place more uh, westernized or whatever, mm-hmm. like more liberal. Right. Because uh, you know we got four million Syrian refugees. Right. There's none of that in Europe. There's hardly any right. compared to us, and they, uh, and we're a pretty um, upbeat. Uh, dynamic strong young uh society i think turkey is mm-hmm. yeah it's a it's a secular nation right right mm-hmm. and and pretty much well coming from that kind of, of a country what was your perspective in the united states and how has that changed since you've been here when i first came to us i was um first i went to los angeles and i really liked it in 1999 as ef exchange student for a month i was like i love this place this is a lot like the Aegean coast right and it feels like sunny, sunny water, nice. Yeah. Then I went to Iowa, and I was like, "Wow, I've never been to a place this religious." First, yeah. Uh, and then also, the first few years was nice, but towards the end, I realized, you know, this is a more bigoted place than I'd like to be, and I couldn't handle the, I, I really couldn't handle the, um, the temperature. Also, it was very cold, and it was very hot in summer, and I was away from the ocean. Yeah. And then. Um, I said to myself, rather than being putting up with these people and getting a decent job and living in a place like Urbandale, mm-hmm. Des Moines, whatever, uh, I'd rather be homeless in California. And and I came to California. I basically got very close to being homeless for quite a bit. Still, I'm not in the highest level of um, wealth at all. When would you choose the Bay Area specifically? Kiteboarding. Kiteboard. You have a strong connection with the ocean and kiteboarding. Yeah. When did that start? Uh, 2003, I was in Turkey uh, in summer, and I went to see this um, amazing, uh, th- this place where i never really been to much, but there was these two guys from Hawaii that were coming, and they were, they were kite surfing, and it was just the beginning of the sport, and I saw it, and I was like, and my professor, my Jewish literature professor, I did a minor in theology, and he said... I remember, I think I spent like 45 minutes looking at these guys, and they're like, we got to go. I'm like, this is all I want to do now. I don't want to be a journalist. I did my uh, I did my uh, internship with CNN the year before. I didn't like it. And I was like, this is not, I want to be a kiter. You know, this is, this is all I want to do. Like, pe- these guys were flying. They were not doing anything spectacular that, that is being done now. But And so I bought, I went back to Iowa. And I listened, and I would go online, and I eventually saved enough, and I bought a kite from eBay. And I was, you know, learning, trying to find out how to do this online. And then the kite came from Alameda, 
and that was a really good place for kiting. And I just, right when I graduated in 2005, I was, and I moved and I said, I want to be in Alameda. So I did everything I could to learn the sport and then became an instructor in about two years after that and been running my own kite school, private lesson basically. Now, why kite running and not like say surfing? or like uh, Surfing, to, that's a great sport too. It's just that uh, it requires a lot more. Uh, surfing is a little bit, uh, I mean, it's all an extension of surfing, I think. We're all trying to be surfers, mm-hmm. want to be surfers, but kiting is, uh, it, when I first look at it, it looked more, much more in a way spiritual, you know, because you're doing things that are almost three-dimensional. You're flying, you're jumping, and then uh, the the almost uh, the ongoing adrenaline aspect of kiting is so much more. And it, it was harder to learn, mm-hmm. easier to master, and surfing is easier to learn, but way harder to master. And kite kind of forgives your mistakes. Now uh, you could, like even a guy like me who's not that I'm I'm a horrible surfer, but with a kite and surfboard, I could do, I could do okay. And you know, it's it's an ongoing, and it was a very new sport, and I wanted to be on the, you know, at least helping the share the stoke part of the sport, you know. So I've been running my own, basically internationally, uh, teaching kiteboarding system. You so. described it as a spiritual. It is experience. experience. Yeah. Can, can you emphasize? Sure. Kiteboarding is, um, so first of all, it's really dependent on others, right? Ah. Uh, look, we have a, I first, when I say that first thing, you see you have Khalil Gibran right there. Great, good job. Huh? I like your books there. Oh, yeah. So basically, that like he would explain, uh, it's, it's dependent on others, right? So you need the other person in your first, especially, couple, I would say a year to launch, to land, and, and you have to look up to people to get better. You have to learn from them. Uh, it's social enough, but at the same time, it's a very individualistic sport where you don't really, you want to be away from everybody, but sometimes you need their uh, help. And also it is very, um, it's very united with the ocean. Like, or, and, and you have to have all the, like there has to be, you know, there has to be water, right? Ocean. And but there has to be waves also. There, sorry, there has to be wind also. So right. you utilize them together. So basically, it's like flying a plane and being on a boat. Basically, having you know and trying to uh, make both of them work at the same time. So it's and it's a really good and it's a very relaxing practice. It could be intense. One of the attributes I think with those outdoor uh, sports mm-hmm. is like it, it really shows you how to be humble. And, I think so, and, and to yeah. respect nature, yeah. and to respect, yeah. uh, you know, like the the, the ocean necessarily, because yeah. you know, at any moment something could yeah. go wrong. We lost three people this last week. I'm sorry. Yeah, and for for Kai- well, two one of them actually was a beginner who ended up drowning. He was a 72 year old man, God rest his soul, and the other one was a 29 year old, actually a friend of mine, who was a very kind man, who was an amazing scientist named Jeff uh, and a photographer who died from a heart attack but you know two of them died and they you know gave their life in the uh, in, in the water mm-hmm. um, it's there and there's that danger too but I, I I don't consider it as a dangerous sport it depends on who's like how I mean not that these people were doing anything especially Jeff sometimes freak accidents happen but it can happen on while driving right uh, 
but it's uh it's it makes you get connect like i usually when i teach my students i want to make sure they respect and they have the ad- etiquette for the other people around them especially around the ocean uh, mm-hmm. and on land you know families beach and everything and i almost make sure that everybody picks up garbage going and coming back right so um and this is really nice i mean anybody who i look up to in this sport that have been doing this for a while are very humble kind people and i think watermen are that way well, yeah you kind of have to be because you, mm-hmm. you, you really can't force things yeah you have to be patient yeah, yeah. and wait for the opportunity or wait for that yeah. bite from the fish or whatever yeah and you've been mostly kite uh, surfing or Kite boarding. I, you were Sorry. supposed to kite, kite runner. Boarding. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> kite boarding, right? That's the proper way of putting it. Uh, there's different way. I mean, kite surfing, kite boarding, foiling. Uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, Bay Area, Hawaii, even East Coast, um, Mexico, back home. I do. I do travel. So through kite boarding, it allowed you to travel I all did. over the country, right? I got very lucky. Yeah. yeah. Now, how were how was the changes you've experienced going from Iowa to the Bay Area? Well, I mean, Iowa is a it's an it's a nice place. There, when some people, um, the good of Iowa is great, you know. I mean, I met the most amazing teacher that I have, still who I really care about. He has a podcast too, by the way. And if he comes here, you should have him. Uh, I'd love to have him. Yeah. yeah, he's great. And so, and I had also met another great family, and I had some great friends. But I also met. Some really unkind, just not accepting, bigoted, just scared people, you know. And I was like, I, this is not really... S-. And also, again, it's away from the ocean. And I'm not really built for that. I mean, yeah. and there was no mountains around. So it gets you like a, not just a seasonal or a geographic geographical depression, but it's more like each time you're there, you get into some kind of existential crisis. Like, I can't survive here. This is not designed for people like me or anybody to serve like so how flat. do you survive yeah, yeah minus 40 or whatever uh-huh. and it's yeah um it's for people who i mean there's more space there's more uh things to do but i really do like and also politically i like this part of the country more hmm. uh, it's much more progressive i would say so you go to hawaii you, you do comedy yeah. works out you're opening for this guy you take his classes one class and I was like hey, well <laughs> and usually you know doing comedy initially is it, it, you know you do it but the hardest part is continuing to do comedy that's that's what so, I'm struggling at right now and it's like you know and you've been doing it for you five know years. five six years now it, it, I, you know what was the next step once you caught the bug in Hawaii so this is this is how I look at it like comedy has also same way with kiting or anything else spiritual life even that I have people that I look up to, you know, that I want to be like them. Like when I first came here, I saw Matt Gopser. Oh yeah. Right? I was like, man, that's a nice guy. Real nice guy. He's kind, he's decent, he's he's funny, but at the same time you feel comfortable around. I'm like, I want to be like that guy. Not not in any comedic sense or anything like that, but I like his attitude. My friend Charlie, we're very close, Charlie Spink. And you know, Charlie has always been there and he's, and I see, guys like them struggle even people like them could struggle so and also like for example charlie is i find him to be extremely funny his jokes are so i can't even think of one joke he has i can't write that and i could i could never deliver Mm -hmm. but um 
So I look at them and they've been doing it way over 10 years. And sometimes, you know, there's been times where I would come back from Hawaii and things would line up and I'd headline shows. And then next before you know it, you go to open mic and you just don't do well. And it goes like that. And sometimes you feel like you're on top of the world and sometimes you don't. And with comedy, as you know, I'm sure you have it too. And Uh I don't know who doesn't have it. We're all depressed, sad people. I know I am. Yeah, I I, I hear you. I am. And uh, I can't really hide it. It's like, and the thing is, so, uh, and I'm always at a place like, I shouldn't do this. So I came back from, Ist- I was in Istanbul uh, a month and a half ago for two months. And I headlined a few shows there and it was great. I did in English, amazing. And I did in Turkish also. And both were great. Hmm. And I came back here. I'm like, ah, it's not so, like, again, it's hard. Then I, uh, but like like you said how do you deal with the when it's not and I sometimes I, I could do 20 minutes sometimes I struggle at 3 minutes you know yeah. and I've been doing this for a long and I, I have old I just can't remember them or I don't trust myself which I'm sure everybody does too mm-hmm. and yeah and, and I'm also very critical over what I do you know I don't like somebody would say this is very funny I'm like I don't think so <laughs> I, I, I've been I've been that guy several times. Right? Yeah. How long have you been yeah. doing comedy? Oh, not long enough, apparently. But I hear you. Like sometimes you know, like you feel like you're not doing well. You come off stage and your friends like, "Oh, it was pretty good. You had mm-hmm. them laugh." He's like, "Nah, that was yeah. not good." Yeah. You know, and then, but the, in some ways, you know, there's a correlation. Just like we said, you respect the ocean. There's kind of you know the same thing with comedy. It humbles you. Yeah. Because you can be the the best of the best and still you know yeah fail within the first couple minutes. Yeah. And and, and it's, it, it's it, hurtful, yeah. At and, first, it can't be hurtful, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, and it's just you gotta, it, you gotta anticipate, you know. Right. Because you don't know what kind of crowd they are until you get on stage and you start yeah. interacting. And the interesting with you is that you do a lot of crowd work. Well, that's what I was supposed to not to do. And also, I realize sometimes I realize my jokes are not good. Huh. And I, I mean, it's my second language. I'm not really well organized. I can't remember so well. I keep forgetting. But you know, like yesterday, uh, like last last night at this place in San, San Francisco, I had this joke that I thought would work really well, and I said it wrong. I did everything about it wrong. The joke was, uh, you know, here's such a big deal, Burning Man. People love it. Mm-hmm. And I said it's it's in the wrong state. It should be in a place like Mississippi, not Nevada. And. Yeah there was this big silence and I wanted to ride the silence see how long it took so like 45 seconds later I was like that's funny I'm like whoo good thing I waited because I mean you know because yeah. if I went to the next joke I basically go up there and say Burning Man I'm trying to compare it with what KKK is doing in Mississippi right uh-huh. and saying ha 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 600 you know dollars to go and there's you know every white person that there isn't couple brown but it's basically a very uh, the gathering of, of white people white, rich yeah you know rich like, or people, like yeah. all there like, are you a burner or not and the idea is to basically so, burn a man in the end of the thing and it's like they're all doing drugs and yeah I mean it's it's no different than I don't know I don't really somebody's gonna a lot of people are gonna dislike what I'm saying but <laughs> it's like I don't get the idea and like yeah. and I thought it was <laughs> and I said I stop judging me for this 
joke. I didn't write the joke. Joke wrote itself, basically. Oh, that's an interesting notion. You know, because you, you don't write the joke. The joke writes itself. I mean, it's like when you think about like, because I, I actually have this person that I know that just speaks so highly of being in this desert and with all these, you know, high tech people. And then they're all they're all so judgmental towards other uh, other people that don't go there. Yeah. I said, you're just so stuck about this Burning Man. It's like so great for you. And it's like, and yeah, yeah. And then last year, I think some somebody jumped in the fire. And by, basically, in the end of it, they, they burn a, a person. statue. Of, yeah. A statue and of I'm person. like, do you not yeah. get, does, is that not sounding like <laughs> something that people, like, that's the name of it. I didn't give the name. Yeah. And it's in Nevada. And maybe that's. Is that weird? Is that I mean, is that normal? To me, I thought it was funny. Uh, it should be in a place you not know, this, to, this to Mississippi. Well, <laughs> but, but the thing is, to, 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 yeah. to some, it's a spiritual thing. It's a ritual. To some, and to others, too much pride is into it. Yeah, you know, and that's where you know a lot of douchebags are like, "Oh, you don't do Burning Man? Who, you know, who do you think you? I don't yeah, know. Yeah. You know, it just." Yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing, but I think you know that's common in, in in all over the world. People have these weird weird gatherings and weird rituals, and yeah. to, to them it, it's it's a sacred, and to others it's not. And it's like yeah. and there's similarity sometimes, you know. It, yeah, each to their own. But you know, when someone's being a douchebag about it, it's like annoying. Well, I mean, I, I I thought the you know sometimes because I I don't find my jokes to be that funny, but you know uh, I think timing. Like if I were to continue on the next joke after that, after that, oh, it should be in Mississippi. If I if I kept going, it's like I just accepted saying something very racist and wrong and disrespectful and unkind, and then I move on to a next joke. Hmm. So that joke had to be laughed at before I can move to the other one. Oh. Does that make sense? Right. Like it, you, you, you had to validate right. that this joke was meant to be funny exactly. and it's making fun. Right. So like at be, first... Because if you don't get a laugh, it becomes a statement, right. not a joke. For example, when you think about it, when I first came here and everybody's like, yeah, you're a fag. So I, I heard that. That's something I thought it was a nice thing to do. So I tell it in the joke. But basically, for two months, even as a foreign exchange student, I am something a very hurt, saying a very hurtful, unkind, mean thing to people. Right, but not knowing two, it is. But though. not knowing it is, I, I I don't think I can tell this enough many times. But I really dislike uh, the government of the United States at the moment. Uh, join the club, right? And I don't I think like, most Americans. I don't do. like Trump. I don't like so. Yeah. And I say it, and I and I love Mexico. I go to Mexico as much as I can, especially in winters. Uh-huh. And you know, on the day of election, I I wanted to be in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, on the day of when he was selected. So, and I you know really find it extremely sad and heartbreaking. And when I I host the Starry Plow in Berkeley sometimes. And um, so I did a good, what I thought was a good set that, you know, it was about how much I dislike everything. And in a twist, uh, I almost wanted to sound like a, you know, Trump guy. Mm-hmm. And I think I did such a good job in a way that there was this uh, guy from El Salvador. <laughs> he tried to uh, basically, um, ro- not rob, but like assault. Assault you uh, with a weapon, basically me and Alyssa on the way out. Oh, he put a weapon out on you, kind of. So, and, and you felt was it to rob you or was it to I make, think to, he, to make a point? So I think he thought that I was actually doing what uh, the opposite of what I. So because I hate to say this, mm-hmm. but my English is right now at a place where I can communicate. But when I was sixteen, seventeen year old, 
you know, somebody, one person came up to me and said, hey, you know what, Turkey is the shit. I was like, fuck you. How dare you talk to my country like that? It's my motherland. Hmm. I didn't know the shit meant something nice. Yeah, like it's great. So, yeah, when I go up there yeah. and say, you know, as a joke, fuck immigrants, they're the worst people. I used to be a fucking immigrant two years ago. They're like, did you say fuck immigrants? Because <laughs> this guy in his mind, it's sadly, a, it's a statement, you know, thinks that I do hate immigrants and right. not knowing that 32 years of my life in this country, I was a number, not even a number before that. Yeah, alien. Though. Pretty much, you're expressing the irony, right? So, but that eventually can, and I, actually, even though it sounds like it's hurtful, it's in a way such a compliment to like, man, I guess I'm doing such a okay job in this that this guy gets offended, and well, I don't want him to get offended. I want everybody right. else. Well, it depends, you know. But he doesn't know he's on. He, I'm on his side. Right, right. Which it, I guess is a part of which happens. It definitely happens. Comments. But the thing is, is you know, why, why you know, because we, we talk a lot of comedians and the comedians, oh, you know, PC culture, offensive people, people are offended. Yeah. It depends. If the, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, no matter how offensive or ho however your joke is, yeah. you gotta make sure it's funny, right? Because that's the point. It's to be funny. Now, right. if it is a funny joke and someone chirps at being offended, mm -hmm. there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah. But if it's a very, if it's not well worked out and it's not funny overall, yeah. and again, it just comes out more of a statement than, than an actual punchline, right. then it's like, oh, you did, the comedian performed did not do a good job yes. making the joke funny as it should be for, yes. for the majority of people to get what yes. the point they're trying to get across. Exactly. And this happens, I, I don't know if it happens to you. I've seen What's it happen to Charlie a lot. I've seen actually other comics. Yeah. A lot to like there'd be other people like I've seen comics even tell other comics like that's racist, that's this and that. Like most of the time I believe people are not especially if they're comics, they should have the right to do whatever they want to on stage and bear the consequences. Sure. Afterwards if they're bullies or unkind, if they're disrespectful or racist whatever, they need to put up with the consequences also, but on I've seen I've seen very few comics that are really unkind and mean. Yeah. And they're like that off stage too. Yeah. So usually the ones that are on stage are really off stage very sweet kind people. Yeah. So for example like this ha I was just talking to Charlie about this Charlie Spring. He um so th there's some jokes he has that are you know a little bit too much from the outside that people but it's very funny and he just whenever he tells them it's for example when we for example when he hosts and if he's saying he if he's calling me on stage he says uh, my friend isn't he first he used to say isn't he such a nice he used to call not that i deserve he's like this isn't this guy a handsome uh middle eastern man and people would be like, oh. Then he would start saying, isn't he just the one handsome terrorist? And they'd be like, ooh. And then he'd be like, uh, well, uh, he's definitely a 9-11 out of 10. He gets, you know, and that, you know, when he, and it, what does he say afterwards? Like, that bur that breaks down both the towers and something. Then what else he says? Uh, uh, he got uh, the best results in Falalala magazine very funny I find it very funny uh -huh. and these are always great jokes when I'm there because they know how, how if we're close or not but some people have actually uh, showed um, told Charlie right in front of me that his jokes are not I'm like I find it very funny this is how we do it and sometimes he does such a great job 
but he's pushing it so much in a good way sometimes people uh, and last week I think it happened to him and happened to me too a few times that people would just get it totally wrong and we can't continue like mm -hmm. we almost have to apologize which like how do you apologize for your pain that you find it to try to change it to comedy you know mm -hmm. I, not, I don't know anybody more accepting loving than Charlie in comedy basically but um, yeah it happens and it's very hard you know like we're uh, we're trying to do an art form that is not very um that's not very rewarding for a long time right and we're being judged if ever yeah I mean <laughs> yeah. You, you could go up there and tell yeah. about like seriously because I do moth storytelling sometimes yeah uh, and you know like for example if you are um, what is there what's the word for it? the artist that performance artist you can go up there and basically talk about how much you hate some specific people or how much uh, something like you could be a bully for 45 minutes and in the end people will be like that was amazing piece of art because right. you're doing a spoken word or what but uh, when you go up as a comic and you make a statement either self-deprecating or somebody else they're like they judge you right away yeah. yeah and you get judged a lot in comedy and so it's not it's not rewarding that way yeah and they look at you whatever they look they, they look at your positive sides they're like yeah this guy shouldn't he's got a good job this lady's very good looking or Who's this guy? There's always that, but when you are in any, any other car, kind of artist, there's none of that. They just think of you. Oh, that's courageous! Look, he's on stage doing that. Yeah, we don't get that. Yeah, I hear you. I, I, I'm, I'm sure you too. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, and and especially coming from the uh, general open mic scene, it's like I kind of kind kind of have a bit about that. Yeah, yeah. Of like you know, people would put up with a shitty musician more than a Absolutely. comedian who makes you know one dick joke. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, but it's all part of the game, and yeah. I, I think because in some ways, unlike most performance art forms, you cannot really practice comedy without an audience. Right. And that's something you know I try to to tell people. It's like it's not so much that, especially in open mics they're working out jokes because they got no place else you know if you're right. a musician you got all day to work on your song yeah in your in your room or your poem or your story to recite it all that but with jokes you don't even know if it's good or, or not until you perform in front of an audience and it's different so, every time different and every time and, and the and, audiences and, are different and again it, it just comes down to the intent of the performer you know if someone comes in to entertain which is, should be the primary fo mm -hmm. focus professionally at least right uh, that's the point. Their intent is to entertain you. Right. They might, you know, get low edgy or right. whatever. But you know, at the end of the day, it should be entertaining. Yeah. Like you said, there's some performers who are, are bitter, who are assholes, mm -hmm. outside and on. I mean, often on, on the stage. Yeah. And then at that point, you could tell that their intent is not to entertain. It's yeah. if anything, it's more you know, a way for them to express themselves like yeah. they, like they couldn't off stage. And they show all the signs, actually, which some of us are actually are not really good at. Which makes up. us look bad, you know. How many mics do we know go bad, and they yeah. ban comedy, and now the rest of us can't do, can't find another practice space. You right. know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm myself personally banned from two venues. Are you? Which, which ones? Should I name them? If you want, yeah. Uh, San Francisco Punchline and Cubs. Two clubs. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Can I ask what happened? Uh, I told. Well, they're both from the same company, right? Yeah, they're they're both run by the same people. Yeah. And I and I uh, and never been See, hesitant I, about saying this. I heard so I heard people getting banned from open mics, but never from a club. Well, it's not really so. Basically, I told them that they were being bullies, 
and I, I, in some ways I could see that yeah and, I, and a lot of people won't say it but you know I used to be a regular in, in Punchline and I said um, this is not the way to talk to people and it, it wasn't necessarily something that was done to me I've seen being done to other people and like first of all in comedy uh, I'm against if there was like it's gonna sound like commandments or anything but one when people especially beginners of anything or even advanced and also there's the advanced student syndrome right if you call somebody a hack if you call somebody's comedy not good if you give advice you're doing everything wrong comedy is not a place where you should give advice and especially because I'm 35 uh, how old are you? I'm 28 wonderful 28 years old so we have our problems we have our um, we have our depression we have our when somebody comes up uh, when a 28 year old comes up to me or when a 35 year old comes up to a 28 year old is like hey why don't you do this and that because you'll be funnier what that does to you is like I listen to you and I don't like anything you're doing and I think I have a better idea of what you could do and that eventually gets to you uh, and also calling somebody a hack calling somebody that they're not they're trying as much as you do and they're trying so hard to be a part of this community mm -hmm. and also the rules of um, engaging with people the kind ways of engaging people are not being practiced at those places when I you know when I was going to there uh, there was a very nice booker at that time a really nice guy and he was kind and people were having a hard time then the next person was not so kind and and I just when I hear this whole egocentric I'm better than you and I'll get you up whenever I want to and I don't want to and the whole um, that was there was a time that there was when I was basically when I told them that they're actually being bullies that the way there was like rules about how to talk and how not to talk to the booker what we should do mm -hmm. it was almost like a list you know don't do this don't do that this you know this is a privilege for you this is your aunt like you can't really and I um, and I find it to be very mean and bully and um, and I wasn't you know I'm okay I have another job I have things but there's some people that really want to be there and they keep going there for a year and they still get treated like Pe shit people travel a long way to, I can't each to go to punchline yeah. and not even perform but hang out and yeah. to some you know the, and I like, I did it once or twice and mm -hmm. I haven't because again like I, I did not feel comfortable yeah. feeling like a piece of meat lining up in the back like the rest yeah, of and us somebody says get off my fucking seat and you have to go uh, that didn't happen to me that will <laughs> that will if you do it enough uh, and it's like I, I, I did not feel comfortable and especially now yeah. with the digital age where the yeah. the the path to success right. or to exposure is much more different right. than the 80s and 90s I where think, you don't yeah. really have to rely on a club to pass you anymore to really right. hit up big you know these days it's about how many Instagram followers you have right. then a club will book you and yeah there, there is uh, a sense uh, what's the word I'm looking for hazing initiation that people think you have to go through well, this is the, the thing is this is 21st and, century and because right. a yeah. lot of us are you know already broken already depressed yeah. they put up with a lot of that with, with a lot well, of shit the, the, the day that this incident happened with me and them is at my side a friend of mine got murdered hmm. and it was a very bad day and I was not like I was there to actually watch 
and then I got some really strange vibes and I was like this is then I then there then there was the whole um, rule set that was written after and there, I saw other people that went up before and I was like man this is not nice like like it's it's all you, you know much surfing terms you know being snaked no what does that mean uh, like when there's you know it's like uh, think of this when there's like a group of animals just consider we're animals they're just happily having just nice they're just having a good time you're sheep and you're eating your grass and you're there's there's some music you hear you hear the wind and everything else then just somebody comes up and just starts and you're like what did I do and you're just trying to survive in this place and you're trying to be a part of it and I mean I don't think I've ever done any disrespectful anything to them but I told them I said you guys are bullies in this field I mean in this comedy you're known to be bullies and I've seen it I, I don't like how it is and I hope this stops and whoever is in the place of uh, power has to have some kind of decency and kindness and if they don't have that decency and kindness people like me maybe you I don't know whoever should speak up for it that's how I look at it for example Paco yeah uh, when when I when we do slap face, how does he treat us? Oh, great! Right, He's such a great guy. Yeah. I mean, I, I Tommy T's. I go to Tommy T's. Jan, her brother, everybody. I feel, I feel, treated kindly. Yeah. Um, any other place I go to, you know, I just saw him yesterday. For do you remember? Um, uh, for example, the brainwash. Mm-hmm. You know how he was kind. Everybody I have seen that I, Mean Dave, for example, even Mean Dave is kind. Yeah, great guy, greatest guy. And like all these people are sweet and kind. And the thing is, in return, they will get kindness. But if they're, you know, I've like if they're going to be like, hey, maybe you can get up, maybe you can't. This place runs without you. Nobody needs you here. Like it's it's not it's not we're not joining a Shaolin Kung Fu temple. Mm-hmm. And um, this is comedy, and we're you know basically we're the people that are. Uh, if it's a showcase, comics are running the showcase, <laughs> mm-hmm. not the venue at that time. Uh, the The fact that it's popular doesn't really change the fact that right now it's being ruled by, that's what I think, unkind people. Mm-hmm. And I really have always been against uh, bullying and the same thing in comedy. I've seen people do that. I've seen people like, have you seen how great I was? And if you want to be like me someday, you could do this and that. I'm like, no. I really don't want to be like you because that's not the sentence I want to start. Right. I don't want to correct any comic and I really don't want to like make their job any harder. I don't want people to beg more, you know. You, you bring in two great points, you know, uh-huh. two great notions. First of all, when it comes to the advice part, I hear you. I'm very hesitant because me running a mic, I get a lot of beginners asking me for advice. Yeah. And before I was really bad because I was very hesitant because I'm like, because at that point, I'm not telling you how to be funny. Yeah. I'm telling you how to be funny for me. Right. And, 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 you know, and now it's like the best way I tell them is like, hey, just keep doing you. Right. Just, That's the just, best just, thing you can just say. Just keep it going at it and just learn from, you know, what yeah. works, what doesn't work, you know. But the thing is with me, I feel guilty. Oh, it's and, 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 and this is before the conversation. Yeah. I had to go, I had to kind of go through a bit of an existential journey. Yeah. Because running for Scotty has, yeah. ha, for the longest time, has been difficult for me. Right. Uh, in a sense of, you know, uh, it's such a, a unique place in San yeah. Jose specifically. Yeah, it's, a great place. it's not a bar. 
the owners already are hesitant having comedy there. Yeah. So they really rely on me to somewhat, you know, manage it. And the crowd is judgmental. And the crowd is very judgmental in the yeah. sofa district. Oh, and, yeah. and I'm not really getting paid for it as most people are. No, no, you know, I get some credit. Yeah. And I have all these other aspirations I want to do with just film, whatever. So in some mm-hmm. ways, you know, for a long time I felt like a prisoner there. And because I felt negative, sometimes I, I did some, you know, I was an asshole to some people. On stage is fine. After no, off stage. Oh, okay. off stage. Right? Yeah, but then I came. I was like, you know what? Why am I being so mean? Mm-hmm. They don't deserve it. If anything, you know, whether I like it or not, I, I am in a position of influence and power. Yeah. Whether I like it or not, you know, the things I say do matter. Yeah. Because that's how I, I didn't think it mattered. Because again, because I was so full of my head of my own problems right. that I forget. And then after that, after like some time doing that, I was like, you know what? I got to change my ways because yeah. it's not right. Because if this is the energy I'm giving out, yeah, then it's gonna be manifested in the in the room, and they don't they don't deserve that. Nobody no. deserves that. I mean, it's hard enough to have any practice space at all in the South Bay. That's beautiful, know? man. Yeah. So after that, you know, you know, it took some time. It's like I I should be much much right. change my ways, and I I think I have some way to go, but I have changed my ways. That's one. I'm not as hard on people. I'm not yeah. as hard on myself. I'm yeah. go with the flow, yeah. and out of that came more creativity and support. Right. You know, like there's a couple of times. Uh, for example, here, here's here's what I mean. Uh-huh. I always felt alone running that mic. I always felt like it was me. But yeah. since I changed my ways, it's like no, it's much fun, funnier, whatever. Yeah. We had a heckler there. Uh-huh. Usually at a bar open mics, they have bouncers. Uh-huh. You know, to help out if someone's rowdy. Right. We, we we had a drunk heckler there who was causing trouble, and I knew this was gonna go bad. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to deal with this because I got, you know, skinny baristas supporting me. I can't have them, you know, yeah. take care of this. So I went to take care of it. The guy got very aggressive, mm-hmm. and before I knew it, there was a crowd of comedians surrounding me, backing Isn't that me up. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah, that will happen. Do like, you carry, do you carry and, pepper spray? I don't. We should. We should. We definitely. But but anyway, with their help, we got this guy out of out of the cafe. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm gonna cry a bit because yeah, I, I did too. You know, you know, at that point, it's like it it's it, good to cry. it it paid off. The the, the the when you support others, they support yeah. you. Think of this, and it made me realize that it, it, like once you rate a safe space for people, yeah, where they can hang out, yeah, and be a community, yeah, uh, you know, it, it it's really, really yeah. a good place to be mentally. Yeah. You know, uh, emotionally, I, I, and I, I can tell you, being in your mic and knowing you, you've been a nothing but a blessing and a kind guy. <laughs> Thank you. I I've never seen it. you be unkind to. Think of this, for example. How tall are you? Five nine. Last time. Okay, I you're checked. five nine. So, you're a tall guy. You're a, so basically, think of this. You're a taller guy, and I am a bearded dark man. Two hundred. I'm two twenty. If I appear in front of someone and say, you're a hack, you're not good at this, I am a little bit more, um, it's much more harder for me to be compassionate after saying something like, it's almost like, you know, like two guys are walking and so one man is walking and there's this spiritual master, then there's the samurai and samurai wants to impress the spiritual master and he takes out his katana and cuts the giant tree into two and he says the master says what have you done he's like I am so strong I'm so good in technique and I cut this tree and the master says put it back and he can't put it back he 
says that's what I work on so basically it's very hard to unbreak somebody's heart mm-hmm. especially being at our size I'm a you know bigger bearded dark man and me going up to a I don't know five two girl or guy and saying hey you're a hack these jokes are you shouldn't talk about feminism what do you know how old are you 14 15 you're 20 mm-hmm. like and also think of somebody that we both love uh Alexandria love oh yeah yeah great would person. you would you ne- rather would you not want Alexandria to be happy I, I, I would love her to be successful I'd love to see her have uh, Netflix special I'd lo- I mean I really would rather yeah. or think of somebody else likewise yeah Th- think of somebody else Faco. we both know <laughs> wouldn't you want to see Faco in a happy place where he's, he's has his TV because I know these guys will take care of each other and they'll take care of like he'll still be Faco to us right mm-hmm. and he'll just still give me a hug and everything. so I want I lose nothing from Faco's success but I lose everything from God forbid and I would never do that calling Faco hack or Alexandria hack or whatever not funny God forbid I would never because I find them very funny and amazing but like you lose so much the second you consider yourself better than not that you are the, the the second you consider themselves better because if we make it we I'd rather see everybody make it like if we're all trying there's a lot of people I know that are trying and there's some people that I wish would change their ways but somehow in the universe they're allowed to be that way and they're continuing so I, I'm gonna work on myself yeah I mean I can't really change it but I really don't want to be the guy somebody comes up and says you know what not about my set not about what I do not, not about the comedy but after it was like you're behavior makes me unhappy you're unkind yeah. like on stage i'd rather do whatever and i don't want to apologize for any of that stuff but off stage right and like for example giving advice i'm sure you haven't given many advices that made people feel bad at all it's over now so we move but the thing is i'm sure you have no intentions of cutting somebody's blessing in comedy you know you're, you don't really try to I, i've never seen you try to make it hard for people for i've sure. seen some people that actually yeah. made it hard yeah. for others and I've seen them cut corners and I've seen I, I know people that were that became very successful by saying I never bomb and these guys are hack yeah. you know we're better like the, the, like this sucks I don't want to see this. I've seen like you know comics do that and afterwards they say hi to each other uh, and that's not I don't think that's the way to go um, yeah. I agree I, I, I agree I, I think yeah. especially how delicate we are or fragile yeah. As we are, you know, it's, it's no place for that. I, there's no day I don't cry. I mean, you do the same. We're, we're all like that. Yeah. I'm a very sentimental guy. Yeah, we all. Uh, but, you know, going back to, uh, in some ways, you have to look at the aggressors right. as victims themselves. It's like... Yeah, the, but yeah, but we should like, still not... They, they're not allowed. I'm not saying tolerate it. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm just saying is you got to realize, like, you know, this person has gone through an ego trip. Yeah. Because th- this is a form of power that he really, really needs for some reason, right. which is stupid, which is sad. Right. It's like, why do you need this, you know, place and influence yeah. to feel that way? You know who deals with it really well that we both know? Hmm. Pete Munoz. Interesting. Interesting Pete cat. Munoz and Amanda. Amanda, like, great. Right. Because yeah. when, when, when people are, for example, even to comics, when they're mean yeah. uh, at, at Woodham, she's like, stop it. Shut up. And she does it. People do stop. And oh, for example, Pete also has a very good check. He checks people's ego. Like you could be a really, really good comic, and he would host you really bad. 
you're like you are this guy's a piece of shit so you earn it back up then afterwards he's your bro again yeah like i love his stage presence i love what he does uh-huh. and uh it, it like for example that mic woodhams woodhams yeah. is an amazing mic i really like it i like most of the mics here but like and they're usually remembered by the host and that's nice i mean i've always tried to avoid hosting because i try to please everybody i'm not good at it and i don't think i'm that you know i'm not good at, but i've been hosting the starry plow when i'm here in berkeley which you should come sometime it's uh uh it's it's interesting man like like people what people really want to do i was like there was a co-host i don't want to mention but this person said this person is not funny they should stop doing this get i'm like you have no right to talk right now you don't tell anything if i'm the host and you're the co-host we watch this person for them to finish and afterwards in the end of the day this person came up who was a drug addict and he said i wanted to kill myself basically today too but coming here being here and just bullshitting and making no sense while being drunk like this helped me out when i started crying yeah you know what if i didn't let that guy up because i mean i supposedly have the power to you know it's a fucking open mic if they don't like nobody is gonna you know and somehow um thank god i didn't really lose the blessing of having that guy. you know sometimes people really need especially comics and everybody else people and animals they need to be they need to hear that they're appreciated and they're good and I think that's that's necessary like uh, there's there's not it's not it, we can't compliment each other enough for just getting up there it's like we're all going jumping up a plane and like good job you just jumped off a plane and you landed safe way to go nobody tried to you know you got all your organs intact it's good like you know it's like going diving with sharks they're nice but you're like yeah, you made it and then you got to see something very beautiful and it's over now hopefully next time I feel that about comedy mm-hmm you know uh, we're lucky to get to perform and none of us are really doing it for success except a couple few people that I know of alright I mean how much are we gonna it's so funny you say that I was with Victor Cruz Perez last night oh uh, yeah VCP and, and Chase Story. he's a sweetheart we, yeah we, we he's went... changed a lot uh, his style lost... has changed he, uh, not he just lost physically weight. <laughs> he, oh. he used to be the didn't he used to be the host of the improv yeah, he used to. He's you know, when I first, game. I don't want to cut you off, but when yeah. I first met him, I told a few people about this, about Victor, and I said, man, I tried to go up to him and shake his hand, give him a hug, he never answers back. Like, he seemed really cold. Yeah. And he was, like, he was the host at the uh, improv at that time. Yeah. Not that I ever wanted, like, I did improv a few times, but I, I wasn't going to, like, hey, take me on the improv. I just wanted to be his friend. Yeah. And same thing happened with Charlie when I first met him. I'm like, this guy is really like not greeting me and I want to be friendly. I want to hug this guy. Yeah. So, you want to kiss him? Yeah. So one day on Tommy T's, I think I saw him and I was like, I'm going to corner this dude. So I basically cornered him. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. He did, I, he, and I said, I said, stop, come give me a hug. And he's like, okay. From then on, he's been the sweetest guy. Yeah. But I could have easily gone in my mind like this guy doesn't like me. Yet. He's just never he's never been aware of yeah. my presence at that time because he's so busy with his set. Dude, that's me almost. That's, I get in my head. And like, I was this like, guy doesn't like me. This guy. Oh. So he wasn't. Yeah. He was just working on a set, and he was that. That's the thing about VCP uh, is that he's so focused. So sometimes he kind of not. Yeah. He ignores the peripheral. He's a great guy. But he's a great guy, and I was talking to him last night. We were funny. out for pizza. Uh-huh. It was our cheat day. Um, nice. And he asked me, he's like, Jorge, what is, 
like, what's the ultimate game for you with comedy? And I couldn't answer. I'm like, shit, man, I don't know. And at that point, I was like, man, what does that mean? Like, if I don't have the ultimate goal, then why am I even doing this? Yeah. But I was like, you know what? I do it because I enjoy it. Yeah. I do it because I do enjoy, you know, I do get something out of entertaining others. Yeah. And it's something, you know, that helps me in my own, not just therapeutic way, but, yeah. you know, a creative way. And I'm like, why do I need, you know, all these specials or all these to be on TV? Some want that. Yeah. But, you know, it came to a point where it's like, I'm just happy where I'm at now. Yeah. I'm just happy that I, I, I'm able to do this and other things and be surrounded with great friends. Like, yeah. You know? But it took me a minute to really think about it. I was like, man, like, I don't have it, the ultimate success, you yeah. know, goal. And I, I, to this day, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's a great... But all I am is just grateful. You know, when... Um, this is how I look at comedy. So, in all Abrahamic and monotheist religions, especially the last one, Islam, which today is a very special day. Uh, it's a night of power. Tonight it's a very special day. The, there's this saying, and Prophet Muhammad... He said this. Uh, charity is very important, right? Giving. Giving right. what you can. And also giving what you can't even is very important. Um, so if you're at a place of poverty, right, in life, and if you can't, like you can't give anymore, you have nothing left, he says, spread smiles. Spread laughter, basically. So if you can't do anything by being who you are, like, you know, like I live below the poverty level, level for America right now, but I probably live like a king in the rest of the world. Hmm. For America, I'm basically very poor. Thank God. But if there's nothing I could do, if I can make people at least smile, because making people cry is not that hard, especially looking the way we do. Right? Right, right. Duly I mean, I, I yeah. could easily make a, a kid, anybody cry for, you know, it's just, it's the easiest thing. The hardest thing is to make them happy and laugh. Yeah. It's actually physically draining and tiring. So uh, I thought if we can't, even in a, in a wrong, maybe not so uh, orthodox way, making people laugh, I think uh, it has a more um, uh, unitarian specific uh nice purpose mm -hmm. you know and um, yeah I wanna my intention is to make people laugh and if I like it was the same thing with kiteboarding I'm like man I love this thing you know I wanna do this and I wanna make sure that other people can and I wanna make it easy for them so they could learn mm -hmm. so yeah. same so same with comedy if, if it ends up ever one day I'm 35 almost way past halfway I guess if I ever make it uh make a semi-living out of even making people laugh that'd be a great blessing for him I don't really want anything else you know what are you gonna get like what are you gonna get I don't know HBO whatever Comedy Central Netflix Fox special News. yeah I'd probably be in Fox News more I don't know I, I'm, I'm happy with what it is right now but I really wish I was like I don't feel I do it according to my best potential I know that there's like you know there's like this gift of funny and I don't know if I can open it well I make I'm, I'm not doing it right I think I could be more funnier and and I you know I would never be I never want to get to a place where I say I never bomb I never tank I'm funny you know I crash every time look at these hacks they'll never be 
you know I'm like I never want to be like that I just want to be different you know not the best at it but different like compared to others different and you know I also like character work I like I don't find myself funny but I like some of the characters I have are funny that's all you know and I, and I think my goal for comedy is that do you see any similarities in work ethic between kiteboarding and comedy I try to find unity and uh, connection in everything you know and I, you know some people are more oceanic I guess I am and I do I do the way I do it yes uh, I mean I, I, I really didn't want to hustle and like get all the shows and try to always network because I don't really want to you know I don't want to start like you, you send a couple of emails to some people and they're like they sometimes don't answer you know I'd rather do Faco's show than in night at cops mm. trying to do you know big like a, what do you call it? like a, a bringer set or something I you know I like that more two years ago I think Faco wanted me to headline the show it was an amazing night I'd rather do something like that. I'd rather do a 25-minute set for a latte. Pretty much performing where you feel appreciated. Yeah, or where uh, uh, where I feel welcomed. Welcomed, yeah. I mean, I don't. Sometimes people don't appreciate. It's not understand. You know, if you go to, a, you know, I've gone to um, San Diego. There's a really nice Greek Armenian restaurant. <laughs> They're very nice, and I did my set. I thought it was one of the funniest sets. And they're, you know, they got historical uh, hiccups with who I am. So I'm like, I totally understand that you guys don't like us. Like, <laughs> I didn't do anything, but hey, so did my grandpa. But if you don't like it, great. It's like some some parts of the, you know, the second you say you're from the Middle East or you're, you say you're Turkish, or the second you would say you dislike Trump, you already lost everybody in Stockton that you're telling jokes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But here it's okay, and yeah, I like to do in places where I'm welcome. But at the places where you're not welcome, where you're basically hated, but they start laughing, it's like, "Hey, he's one of the good ones. He's funny, but he's a piece of shit." That that still makes me happy too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I've I've gone to shows where you know the guys like, oh, "I'm getting my shotgun." I'm like, "All right, it's gonna be a night," you know, and then just cowboy bars and everything, because. Guys like you and I don't walk into those places often. Right, yeah. And when we do, we just don't. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, Enoch, it's been yeah, man. more it's than been an amazing. hour. Great. We're going to close up shop. It's been a pleasure talking awesome to you. Awesome talking to you, man. found this very insightful. Me and, too. And you're a great guy. Very and I hope the best for you. And I hope the best for you. you know, Good things will happen. You're doing... Again, like I think, let's say let's wait, say wait. compliments that we want to say to ourselves to each other. Ready? <laughs> you're doing great. Uh, you're a good guy. You like animals, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a good kid to your mom. I try. I try. You're 28. What a great year. Yeah. You got in six years it's, if you did nothing. Right. You're you're amazing. You're a, a great teacher. A great, Bro, you know, you're great. For someone to look up to and how to be. Take that back. Oh my you're god. You're great. But <laughs> imagine this though. You're 28 years old. I'm 35. Yeah. So if you were to just do couple good sets every three years, would, if you were that, that not to ever dream. do comedy, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine how good you'll be in eight years, seven years? You'll be so good. I don't my know. Age. I don't know. I'll never get to back to twenty-eight. I don't know, man. I I, I started I could be in the same place. Though. I started I at twenty-nine. 
So yeah. you're doing great, man. Oh, thank you. I don't know. When we'll you're see. my age, if God willing, you'll be amazing. And when I'm seven years later, I'll be 43 if I ever make it. That's a lot of age. Well, when I'm 30, I'm going to find you and be like, oh, how are we doing? Are we, are we any better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's been a pleasure time. Thank you, bro. Thank you for coming. Thank you. This is a really nice gig you did. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I hope, main, uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be like uh, Mark Marin or who is, Oof, who's Mark the man? Right? Mark Marin is a huge influence of mine. Is he? Huge, yeah. Because that. Mark Marin was the first time I was like, you know what? You can be flawed and work on I your stuff and still, you know, converse with others yeah. who are different from you or who are people you look uh, look up to. Then Obama comes in yeah. there. That's what it is. <laughs> he, uh, I don't know. Trump, I don't think I would want that right now. No, you could have Obama. <laughs> He's a kite. Obama so. would be nice. Yeah. He kites. I, I, oh, he kites. Yeah. There you go. You're my connection to Obama. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. All right, Inach, thank awesome. you for coming. Thank you, my brother. Aloha. Thank you for listening in to the JMS Podcast. I hope you look forward to next Sunday. We have another great guest. And uh, once again, you can subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, and the CastBox Android app. Take care, everybody. Stay cool. Take it easy. We are just starting the, the week. I hope you have a good start. My name is Jorge Sanchez here from the JMS Podcast. And y'all better take it easy.